0: me to Acts chapter nine. And as I was uh, preparing this week, I I realized that over the over the last several passages, the last few passages we've looked at, we've actually seen what grace does in the life of a person. And so uh, a few weeks back, we looked at the story of Simon, the magician. And uh, when Philip brought good news to Samaria, he brought good news to Simon Uh, And what that meant for Simon was that uh, grace actually dethroned Simon, right? He was using magic to make a name for himself. But what grace does is it dethrones us. It removes us from the center of the story and puts Jesus at the center. So it writes our perspective. And then last week uh, we met and heard the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, an ethnic and religious outsider, Uh, He wanted to know God, but was an outsider to Judaism. And yet, through Philip's work, he met Jesus. And we saw that what grace does is it welcomes the outsider uh, and gives him a place in the kingdom and gives him a place at Jesus's table. Well, today uh, we are going to uh, read probably the most famous story in the book of Acts. And we are going to meet probably the most influential person uh, next to the Lord Jesus in Christianity and in Christian history. Uh, And his name is Saul. Uh, You also know him by the name Paul, his Greek name. Uh, Today, we are going to see Saul meet Jesus uh, and what grace does to Saul. So. We're going to read starting in Acts chapter nine, and we're going to start in verse one. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's uh, the way that. This Jesus movement is described here in the early going of early goings of Acts. The way if he found any belonging to the way men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. And neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. Straight Street. It's actually still in Damascus to this day. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of, uh, of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, He's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints, Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. "...to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name." So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, "...Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit." And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened for some days. He was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, isn't this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And hasn't he come here? For this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you today. May God bless the reading and hearing and preaching of his word. Amen. Uh, So I I mentioned that uh, Saul was probably, is probably the most influential person in Christianity, but also in uh, in Christian history and world history next to Jesus. I'm fairly convinced that if Jesus did not meet Saul, if this meeting with Saul did not happen then none of us would probably be sitting in this room. In fact, uh, if Jesus didn't meet Saul, I would assume that the New Testament, even if the New Testament existed, uh, would be much shorter because Saul, who would be known as Paul, wrote most of the books in it, that our understanding of Christianity uh, and the work of Christianity around the world has a lot to do with Saul. Saul. But we can see that Saul's story didn't start there. It started in a very different place. Now, we, we love transformation stories, don't we? Uh, I've noticed, for whatever reason, the past few times that I've been in uh, medical offices, whether in a, a hospital waiting room or in a doctor's office, uh, that the, the channel that is always on TV is HGTV. Home and Garden Television. I don't know why that is. I don't know why medical offices are particularly prone to uh, HGTV. Maybe it's because, you know, people who are like getting a hip replacement view themselves as a broken down house. I don't know. But, so I've noticed that that, that channel's always on. And I also noticed this that regardless of the show, whoever the hosts are, that the premise of the show is the same. We're going to take a broken house and we're going to fix it. Or we're going to take a small old house and we're going to make it bigger and newer, right? In fact, uh, this actually started decades ago with uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Ty Pennington started it all. We used to watch that show some. And what was really funny, I feel like about the last ep- few episodes of that show we watched, um, they, didn't re- they didn't remake the house. They just bulldozed it and built a brand new one. Uh, I feel like, like when they moved the bus, it was like, hey, that two-bedroom, one-bath house you had, we just knocked that down and we gave you like a 16-bedroom mansion. Uh, Which is like, that's not really a makeover. That's just a whole new house. Um, Have you like shown those people what their tax bill is going to be now? So anyway, but we so we love those shows, right? We love transformation. We love conversion. Uh, We love to see something changed from what was old or useless or ugly to something new and beautiful and good. And and that's exactly what we see happening here with Saul. Uh, We see Saul's conversion and you know, with uh, there's a lot of things that we can transform. There's a lot of things that we can convert, right? With the with the right tools and the right know how and the right amount of effort, you can you can convert a, a gasoline engine to propane. Uh with the right amount of tools and know how and effort. You can take a, a horse barn uh and turn it into a house for people. But have you ever tried to change a person? And the answer to that question is, yes, you have. Uh, And odds are uh, you met with uh, some frustration and disappointment. Uh, People don't respond to our efforts to change them very well. Uh, But there is one who does change people. There is one who can take somebody going down this path and do a dramatic reversal. And that's what we see happen in the life of Saul here. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to we're just going to trace that out. We're going to look at Paul's life or Saul's life before he meets Jesus. And then we're going to look some at the moment that he meets Jesus. And then we're going to look at what happens afterwards. What what begins to happen in Saul's life after he has this run in with Jesus. So let's talk about Saul before Jesus. What was he like Well, Acts 9 starts off, verse 1, it says that he was breathing threats and murder against the followers of Jesus, right? He was was breathing out murderous threats. It makes me think of like a fire-breathing dragon. This guy Saul is intense. But we already know that. If we go back to the end of Acts 7, we see there that Saul is the one presiding over Stephen's death. And in Acts chapter 8, we see that Saul is the one who begins, uh, oversees the persecution of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, here at the end of 9, in verse 21, it says he made havoc. Right? So the picture we're getting of Saul is like a, like a wild animal trampling and uh, stomping out uh, the, the field. Right? That this, this man is out of control. Here's how he describes himself. So Saul's conversion, actually, we we get it three times in the book of Acts. Once here, and then Saul tells it two more times. Paul tells it two more times at the end of Acts. Here's how he describes himself in Acts 26, verse 9. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Later on, when Paul would write to the churches in Galatia, He described his life this way in Galatians one. He says, you heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Saul is no friend to Christianity. Uh, In fact, he's the exact opposite. Uh, He is not coolly indifferent to Christianity. Right. He's not he's not saying well, you know, the, the whole the Jesus thing, those guys, I mean, you know, that's good for them. But that's, that's just not me. No, no, no. Saul sees it as his mission from God to put an end to all this Jesus nonsense. He is, he is a violent persecutor, right? After ravaging the church in Jerusalem... He actually goes to the high priest. This is how serious he is. He goes to the high priest for letters, for the authority, for, for extradition papers, to make the trip 150 miles uh, northeast of Jerusalem to Damascus. It's a two-week journey on foot. And, and he's going there to do more of the same in Damascus, to arrest anybody he can find, naming the name of Jesus and bring them back. Saul is serious. Saul is violent in modern terms. We would call him a terrorist. That is Saul. So you couldn't you couldn't be further from Christianity than Saul. Right. To say that he's hostile is an understatement. He's not open to debate. He's not open to a chat over coffee to talk about the claims of Christianity. Right. From the from the view of human judgment, Saul is a lost cause. Saul is someone to be avoided. Saul is someone beyond hope. But that is from the human perspective. Uh, that is not from God's perspective. Because what we see is that even, even to us, to our eyes, people who look beyond hope, look beyond redemption, in the eyes of God, there, there, is, there is no hopelessness, right? Right. Uh, God is capable. God's view takes a different perspective. And so we see Saul meet Jesus on his terror mission to Damascus. Saul meets Jesus face to face. Let's look at Acts uh, 9, 3, verse 3 it says, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did you notice how Jesus identifies with his people? He doesn't he doesn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? He doesn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting my loved ones? He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you attacking me? Friend, if you are in Jesus, you are so united to him. Not simply that you belong to him, but in one sense that you actually are him. As just as much as your body belongs to your head. That's the language that Paul actually himself will use in Ephesians four: that. Jesus is the head and we are his body. And so here you have, as one writer says, the the head in heaven, defending the body on earth. Jesus so closely identifies with his people. It reminds me of uh, a line from Braveheart, uh, where an English officer says that an attack on the king's soldiers is the same as an attack on the king himself. That's how personally Jesus takes uh, his. His beloved, his people. So he says, Saul, Saul. He uses his name twice. This is a personal call, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now I love the the irony uh, in this story, uh, the irony of divine grace that here is. Here is mighty Saul marching to Damascus to arrest Christians. And yet what happens? He's brought to his knees and he's arrested by Jesus himself. The one who is going to arrest gets arrested. Right. Uh, The one the one who thought he saw things so clearly. Is led into the city blind as a bat. Blinded by Jesus, later to have his eyes opened by Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That's Saul's story. And so with those words, Jesus seizes Paul. He has Paul in the grip of his grace. And in fact, what we will see, what we see, come to know, is that Jesus actually has been working on Saul for a long time. Again, in Acts 26, after Jesus says, Why are you persecuting me? He says, It is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a a farming implement. If you were raising animals and you had a particularly stubborn young bull, You would use goads, a sharp stick to to get him in line, to get him to straighten up, to break him. That's what that's what Jesus says to Saul. Why are you kicking against the goads? Jesus is the the master farmer. It's as if he's telling Saul, hey, listen, I'm going to win. You should probably stop kicking. Right. And so. Let's let's talk about that for a minute, Um, even though even though Saul's conversion is dramatic. We see that Jesus actually has been working on Saul for some time. And there have been some who have said, you know, you have to have a story like Saul's, right? That, That 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 conversion is always this dramatic, that that your life should always have this dramatic turnaround. And, you know, that's that's really not the case of The circumstances of your conversion may not look like Saul's uh, if you're a four year old and you grew up in the church. Right. And you were converted before you really ever realized what was going on. And so there was never a day when you didn't know the Lord Jesus. We would say that that wasn't a dramatic turnaround conversion, but it was a conversion. In fact, we could say this, that whether your story looks like Saul's or not uh, or not, Conversion is always dramatic. Change is always dramatic because it always involves sovereign grace taking us from the path to death and putting us on the path to life. That God's grace has been at work in Saul until this moment when he finally brings him to his knees. And this uh, stiff-necked ox finally bows the knee to his master. And so grace is seizes Saul and changes Saul and turns him around. And that's what happens when Jesus sets his sights on you. He interrupts the course of your life and turns it in the opposite direction. What you want want to also notice that, that grace, not only does grace turn us around, but grace also weaves us into a community that that Saul, after he's led into the city, you know, he's, he's blind, and he's by himself, and he's fasting, and he's praying. And so God goes and gets a faithful brother named Ananias. And now, as important as Saul will be to the cause of Christianity in the world, uh, littered throughout Saul's life are unsung heroes like Ananias. This is the only moment that he appears in the story. And yet he is the one that God uses to go and welcome Saul into the church. So God calls Ananias. And of course, Ananias is a little hesitant. I imagine I would be right. Uh, Lord, I've, I've heard about this guy. He's a little dangerous. He's made kind of a mess of things in Jerusalem. He's come to do that here. I'm not so sure about this. And Jesus says to Ananias, go. For he is my chosen instrument. Again, irony, right? Saul, not, the, not his own instrument, not, not the instrument of the chief priest in Jerusalem. That's the way he went into Damascus. But actually, he's Jesus' chosen instrument. I will use him, Jesus tells Ananias. And so Ananias goes to this blind man and he puts his hand on his shoulder Because he can't see him. And he calls him brother. This persecutor of the church. He calls him brother. And he welcomes him into the community of faith. And the scales fall from Saul's eyes. And he can see. Probably for the first time in his life. He can really see. And so Saul meets Jesus. And the scales come off. Well, what happens after that? What happens after Saul meets Jesus? Well, we see that the, the transformation is, is total. That um, Saul, as uh, John Calvin says, this uh, violent wolf is turned into a sheep who then becomes a shepherd. Saul went into Damascus to persecute Christianity, to Speak against Jesus. But now that he's there, now that he's met Jesus, the the persecutor becomes the proclaimer. Now he preaches the same message uh, he was warring against just three days before. Saul's life is completely turned around. He goes from breathing out threats and murder to proclaiming the peace that is offered in Jesus alone. Here are the words again, and uh, Saul elaborates later on in Acts 26, Jesus' words to him. He says, Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen in me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. So I want you to catch that. Jesus takes this self-righteous Jewish Pharisee. Paul would say later in Philippians 3, as to the law, blameless, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He, Jesus takes this man and turns him around and sends him out to the very Gentiles he would have despised. Right? Turns him and sends him in the complete opposite Direction. He says, I am sending you to open their eyes. So Saul, who has had his eyes opened by Jesus, now goes out to open the eyes of others. That they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul is not only given a new life, but he is given a new mission. Now, listen, not every one of us is a Saul. We we may not have the ambition or the zeal or the gifts of Saul. But if you have been converted by Jesus, if you have been turned around by Jesus, you have also been given a mission by Jesus. It may not be to go to the, uh, the entire Mediterranean region like Paul. But it may be the mission of Ananias. A faithful, encouraging brother. It may be the mission of Barnabas who does the same. Saul's conversion is total, uh, but we also see as we keep going that Saul's conversion is costly. In fact, didn't Jesus tell Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. That this one who made others to suffer will now suffer for, uh, for the name of Jesus, and we even see that begin to happen if we had kept reading as Saul starts preaching Jesus in the synagogues. Well, the local the local Jews who don't believe him, they get a little bit out of shape. Uh, so been out of shape, in fact, that they actually post guards at the city gate to kill him. And so Saul has to escape the city in a basket let down from the window. How's how's that for mighty Saul? He came marching into the city and he gets led out of the city in a basket. And then he goes to Jerusalem. But as you can imagine, his reputation is well known in Jerusalem. And so the the church leaders there, they don't want anything to do with Saul. They're afraid of Saul. And then we see Barnabas. We met him a few chapters back. His name means son of encouragement. And he uh, he puts his neck on the line And he introduces Saul. He vouches for Saul. Just like Ananias did in Damascus, so Barnabas does in Jerusalem. We need more Ananiases and Barnabases. And so Saul uh, is introduced to the church in Jerusalem. And he again begins preaching Jesus in the synagogues. And challenging the very leaders whom he had pledged loyalty to. The very people who had sent him out. Now he's back and he's a thorn in their side. And so what do they do? They plan to kill him. And so Saul must be uh, carried out of the city, uh, secretly carried out, and he is sent back to his hometown of Tarsus to wait for the time being. And so Saul's conversion is total. So that's Saul's story. What is yours? What is your story? One of the uh, one of the shows that we enjoyed uh, in the early days of quarantine is a show called The Chosen. You can find it on Netflix. You can also find it uh, on VidAngel and the app. There's a chosen app. But it's a, it's a dramatic retelling of the life of Jesus, but from the perspective of his original followers, his first disciples. And one of the first ones you meet in that series is Mary of Magdala. We call her Mary Magdalene. Uh, and she is a demon-possessed woman. She's possessed by lots of demons. And Uh, A Pharisee named Nicodemus, this is a part of the dramatic retelling, but a Pharisee tries to help her, tries to to cast out the demons and he can't do it. But then he sees her later on the street and he sees her in her right mind. And and he's dumbfounded. He's amazed. And so he he goes up to her and he says, What happened? What happened to you? And, and Mary herself can't really explain it. At this point, she doesn't even know Jesus' name. Uh, she says, I don't know what happened, but I can tell you this. I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. Friend, is that your story? Have you met that Jesus? Who completely changes everything. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your saving and redeeming grace. That you can take enemies and turn them into friends. We thank you for the grace that does that. I pray, God, that you would do that today. That you would do that in the lives, in the hearts and lives of those who are opposed to you. That we could say, I was one way, and now i completely different, and the thing that happened in between was you. Do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.